time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, November 7th, 2008. Can you believe it is like the first full week of November is over? I mean, just last Friday it was Halloween. Like, tomorrow will be like Thanksgiving, and then the day after that will be Christmas. Of course, here in Southern California, we don't really have the weather to take us into these holiday seasons. There's basically two weather patterns in Southern California. Warm and hot. Yeah, well, that's right. We got fire season. We got mudslide season. There are, yeah, see, we, yeah, we do have seasons. But there's no snow or things like that. You know, the, the, the leaves change even if it's hot outside, you know. Uh, there's, yeah, it's fun traveling to other parts of the country where they actually have seasons, you know. But here in Southern California, it's pretty much constant. And then we get the occasional rain shower. And Southern Californians <laughs> do not know what to do with rain. You know, it, it goes something like this. You know, the, 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 on the local NBC affiliate, if precipitation occurs, you know, it's almost as big of an event as like an earthquake. You know, Stormwatch 2008, water is falling from the sky. People are slipping and sliding on the freeways. There's death and destruction everywhere. Yeah, they did. no one in Southern California knows how to drive in the rain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean I can't do 80 on a rainy day? <laughs> That's like the normal speed, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's just madness and mayhem out here in Southern California. Did you guys hear uh, Issues Etc. today when uh, Todd Wilkin was talking about the Chilada? Yeah. Two weeks in a row he's been talking about Chilada. I actually went and I told him I would try it. I tried it. I actually I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Although, you know, my question is is that what do you pair it with as far as food is concerned? It's, it's it, it seems like it would be a, a decent drink to have with, like, friends over Mexican food or something like that. You know, I can, I can see it, you know, with a really big burrito – you know, with all kinds of cheese just dripping, melting on top of it and some kind of like a red sauce going on. Yeah, that would be really cool. You know, it would kind of go with that, you know. So it's kind of like a beery – it's a beer version of a margarita yeah, it's a mixed with kind of a Bloody Mary kind of thing. So anyway, Todd, if you're listening, you know, I feel for you. I get it. You know, it's, it's, it's t- convincing somebody to even try it, you know. I'll try anything once. But, you know, it was, it was all right. It was pretty good. So – um. You know, so got to come to come to poor Wilkins' uh, defense there, you know. And then Wolf Mueller just had his wife just had another baby. Ooh. You know, the Wolf Mullers are are celebrating the arrival of a new child. And in fact, let me pull up the email here real quick. They, he he actually sent me pictures of his of his new munchkin. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pastor Wolf Mueller ba- announcing the the arrival of Isaac Wolf Mueller. Okay. So, uh, yeah, he, <laughs> his kids are cute. So Isaac Wolfmuller, you know, at the pictures of him having just been born, he, he looks like, you know, what am I doing here? <laughs> so congratulations uh, and blessings to you, uh, Pastor Wolfmuller, on the new addition to your family. And uh, apparently he was born at 3.30 p.m. Uh, yesterday, I, I'm assuming in the Denver area because, you know, he's in Aurora, Colorado. And... Um, Seven pounds, uh, three ounces, and was uh, 19 and a half inches long. That's a, that's a long kid. So, but uh, congratulations to the Wolfmullers. I'm longer. Huh? I'm longer. You're longer? Yeah. You know what? Well, you're a lot older. Oh, 
Yeah. It's not a competition, John. John, oh, man. Okay. <laughs> All right, we're going to lead off with a little bit of listener email today. We got some – it's going to be a little bit of a lighter program. It, it's it's Friday. But, well, maybe not. Okay. <laughs> maybe maybe I just should just do my normal thing. I, I don't know. Boo. Yeah, for, who knows? Um, let's see. First of all, uh, those of you who tuned into yesterday's program, we let off with uh, Todd Friel, you know, <laughs> kind of raking me over the coals for not letting Paget have it. And, uh, you know, I, I, to- I read my email that I sent to him, and Todd Friel responded. You know, Todd and I have actually corresponded via email a few times. And so, you know, we, we've never met in person, but I would say that we're email acquaintances. I guess there's different levels that you can you can think. You know, it's not like I spend a lot of time on iChat or he's not a buddy. He's not my friend on Facebook or anything like that. Which you know, you know that's the weird thing. Okay, is is that you know, the the on Facebook you have to accept friends. You know, somebody sends you a friend request and then you accept them as your friend. And and so you know, in today's social networking, internet relationship kind of thing, you know. Uh, what what's the appropriate level of friendship commitment do you have to somebody who's you know you've accepted as your friend on Facebook, you know, I just the, uh, relationships are different nowadays, They're very very different. So um, there's a whole bunch of people I've never met, but I've seen what they look like because they have Facebook pictures, or I see them out on uh, the Wittenberg Trail. And, uh, and so, but Todd Friel and I, we're not, you know, he's not in my friendship network on Facebook. I don't even know if he's on Facebook. Couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you. But he did send me an apology. Tis true. <laughs> in fact, it, <laughs> I, I got to thank him, you know, for the, for the, the apology. And, you know, let me, let me read to you, uh, what, uh, Todd Friel from way of the master fired off to me this morning. He says, Hey, Chris, actually, I owe you an apology. He says, afterwards, I figured as much. So privately, here's my apology. I am sorry. And he said that I, he will also make that public also. So sometime either today or sometime in the near future on the way of the Master Radio, Todd Friel uh, will apparently apologize to me. But, you know, I emailed him back immediately. And, you know, I told him, I said, I said, Todd, you're always my uh, brother in Christ. I said, you know, no big deal. I says, I accept your apology. I forgive you. And I took the whole thing with a grain of salt because I know your passion for the gospel. Keep up the great work. So, you know, it was, I mean, it just, that's the thing. You, when you're fighting for the faith, when you're defending the Christian faith, sometimes you become a victim of friendly fire. So it was it was a friendly fire incident. And the nice thing about friendly fire incidences when it comes to people within the kingdom of God is that generally it's not fatal. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, right. Exactly. So, you know, no harm, no foul. I totally get it. You know, it was it was a you know, I don't exactly follow convention when it comes to these things. So thank you, Todd, for the apology. Again, we we took it lightly, didn't even take it seriously. Thank you very much. Um, talk, remember the other day we were talking about Obama? <laughs> now, I get the feeling we're going to end up talking about Obama a lot. <sighs> Why? Because the, the religious angle on it seems to, uh, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the Obama, you know, religion angle seems to continue to go. She says, uh, she says, cricket, your daughter, daughter, okay, now I'm really being distracted. John says his daughter, cricket, went to my Facebook page, but she said that I was too old. 
So, okay, so apparently, you know, she doesn't want me in her social... She doesn't want me to actually be her friend because I'm too old. <laughs> oh, man. Rejected. I just got dissed. What's that word that you guys use? Pwned? Yeah, yeah, I got pwned or served or something like that. <sighs> okay, well, that's just discouraging. 17-year-old girls apparently don't want me on their friendship. 15-year-old, you know. But you know what? I, you know, I, if I was a 15-year-old girl and I saw my photograph, I'd be pretty freaked out, too. Again, being a guy of girth and old, I get it. So... <laughs> Anyway, Obama, check this out. Uh, somebody's emailed me. We, we were talking about this last week. You know, since Mo- Obama's supposed to be the Messiah, how long would it take before he shows up on toast? <laughs> you know, that miraculous breakfast. He would appear next to the Virgin Mary, on, you know, in scrambled eggs or pancakes or something like that. So somebody emailed me. It looks like it's a Photoshop job. I, I, th- I don't really think this is a real. Co- I followed the link, but it didn't actually get me anywhere. And the headline reads, Baby Jesus Obama Miracle Toast being sold on eBay. <laughs> According to the um, to this email that I received, and I'm I'm very suspicious about this. We're not thinking it's exactly real. I can detect some photoshopping going on here because this doesn't look miraculous to me. Yeah, yeah. He says it was bound to happen. Whenever you have a Messiah, you have to. You, You've got to see his image in something. Remember the cheese sandwich that went for five figures? Well, that's nothing compared to Obama toast. Current bid $330. Better hurry. Auction ends on March 27th. Yeah, well, that's a long way away from me. Maybe this is an older you know, piece of Obama toast. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah uh, Kyle Kirstner sent that to me. Oh, man, that's hilarious. But you know what's funny? World Net Daily, uh, uh, Joe Farah's organization, they they uh, have kind of picked up on this uh, Obama as Messiah stuff, and uh, they published a, an article on their um, on the World Net Daily yesterday. It's called "Thy Kingdom Come Through Obama." President elects headquarters declare to God be the glory for victory. Okay, and I, I this I should probably put something a link of or something up here. This is interesting. This is written by Chelsea Schilling of WorldNet Daily. Uh, you can get to WorldNet Daily, WorldNetDaily.com, or you can just type in WND.com. I think they can you get there with a shorter version. It says Obama's campaign headquarters in Lake City, Florida, has posted a victory sign in its window stating, "To God be the glory, great things He has done." Obama, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. That's exactly what the sign says. There's a photograph of it here. Um, yeah, to God be the glory. Great things he says he has done. Obama, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's the kind of stuff that just makes you go, Ugh! creepy. You know, are they trying to paint him out to be the Antichrist? <laughs> just... You know, do they want us to think he is the Antichrist? Just keep this kind of stuff up. I mean, go ahead, Obama. Declare yourself to be God and, well, you know. Yeah, so, you know, it's not like he's he's doing, he's not the one doing this. His followers are, but, I mean, their behavior is really creepy. Yeah, so, anyway, the story continues. The sign prominently posted in the front window is visible from the street. And as WorldNet report, uh, Daily reported, some of Obama's supporters have regarded him as a Messiah figure heralding a new age. 
Nation of Islam leader Louis Farrakhan, who's a powerful Chicago-based political figure associated with the Reverend Jeremiah Wright, which doesn't make any sense at all. Louis Farrakhan is a nation of Islam, and uh, Jeremiah Wright is supposed to be Christian. I mean, these two should mix together like, you know, oil and water. Um, anyway, he says, and other longtime associates of Obama told a crowd in February the Illinois Democrats' rise to power is a sign the Messiah is coming soon. These guys should get together with Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, you know, there in Iran. I mean, that guy's trying to, you know, get the, the missing 12th imam to reappear, you know, to usher in the end of the world. And apparently Jesus Christ is going to, uh, you know, to come, you know, when the 12th imam comes, the Muslim, you know, eschatology basically teaches that this 12th imam shows up and Jesus Christ is going to appear also and, and claim, proclaim that Allah is God. So what is it with all these people, you know, in their messianic end of the world kind of things? Are we, I mean, can we somehow kick off the, uh, the end of the world? I mean, should we have a party? You know, let's do a coin toss and we can figure out who's going to play, you know, the role of the antichrist. And then, and then after the coin toss, then what we'll do is we'll just, you know, you, you Christians get to scatter and then we'll, we'll try to hide, find you. And then when we get, catch you, we'll throw you in a concentration camp and kill you. You know, it, 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 we can make it into a sport, you know. The hunt. <laughs> yeah, called the hunt. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you know, I'm just I'm looking at these people going, what? What's the Kool Aid they're drinking, man? <laughs> you know, maybe they're token the ghost. Yeah, maybe they're the ghost. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, we got Josh in studio today, so we've got absurd comments from Josh today. Thank you, Josh. Um, okay. So the the story continues. He says. Uh, quote, you are the instrument that God is going to use to bring about universal change, and that is why Barack has captured the youth, Farrakhan said. And now, wait a second. Barack Obama self-identifies as a Christian, not a Muslim. And Louis Farrakhan is a Muslim. Why would Louis Farrakhan be saying of Barack Obama that he, that God is going to use him to bring universal change? Is is it a racial thing? Okay, all right. And he and, he's, and he has invo- quote and he has involved young people in a political process that they didn't care uh, anything about. That's a sign. When the Messiah speaks, the youth will hear. The Messiah is absolutely speaking. That's a quote from Louis Farrakhan. Okay, I'm getting <clears throat> getting more creeped out by the minute. Um, brothers and sisters, the Nation of Islam leader said Barack Obama to me is a herald of the Messiah. Barack Obama is like the trumpet that alerts alerts you to something new. Something better is on the way. <laughs> we just elected, <clears throat> excuse me, a man for president. Yeah, we didn't. I, last time I checked, the the office he was running for was not Messiah. It wasn't God. Woo! All right. So the website is topped off by an Obama quote strategically ripped from the January seventh speech at Dartmouth College just before the New Hampshire primary, in which Obama told students, "quote A light will shine through that window. A beam of light will come down upon you, and you will experience an epiphany, and you will suddenly realize." that you must go to the polls and vote for Obama. <laughs> World Net Daily also reported talk radio host Rush Limbaugh criticized Democrats who compared Obama with Jesus and Governor uh, Sarah Palin to Pontius Pilate. 
uh, quote, uh, this is Limbaugh speaking. He says, I know Jesus Christ. I pray to Jesus Christ all the time, said Limbaugh. I study what Jesus Christ did and said all the time. And let me tell you something, Barack Obama, you are no Jesus Christ. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, Limbaugh, you and I are in agreement there. Um, Okay, John here. Okay, this is an example of you know this is this is <laughs> John has his own agenda. In case you don't know, folks, John, our our, our tech guy here at Pirate Christian Radio, um, he is a baseball uh, fanatic. Is kind of a doesn't even quite explain it. <laughs> no, you know, I, I mm-hmm. baseball. You know, he's got baseball on the brain. And apparently, Barack Obama is not really going to be considered great until he gets rid of the designated hitter, yeah. the DH. You don't like the DH? No. So you like the way the National League plays, huh? Yeah. Well, there's National League and Minor League. Okay. So you like National League and Minor League, but then American League, you don't care for them because they have the designated hitter. Okay. Minor League rules. I see. And then American League. We'll have to discuss the <laughs> finer intricacies and, um, you know... About the designated hitter, you know, some other time, maybe while we're enjoying a chalada or a pirate Christian ale. How's that? Yeah, you know, I've yeah, I just got done brewing five gallons of uh, of a very nice dark ale. Must thirsty. Uh, yeah, right. Five gallons. I was really thirsty. <laughs> Lean into this, you know. Jeez. <laughs> All right. Um. So Nate writes me, he says, Chris, if a Messiah is one who makes us feel better about ourselves and gives us hope that things on earth can change, why not put Obama there? <laughs> you know, Nate, you've got a good point here. Right, Leading right off the bat, you know, the, the brand new version of the Messiah, you know, as reinterpreted via the purpose-driven movement, is, is that the, the purpose of the Messiah is to make you feel better, you know, to help you experience a more abundant life to uh, take care of those pesky problems in your life, like, you know, marital issues, you know, do you, are you satisfied with your career? Right. You know, so, you know, so, you know, he's right. If we're actually defining Jesus or the Messiah as one uh, who makes us feel better about ourselves and gives us hope that things on earth can change, well, well, then why not put Obama there? I guess in that case, Obama would qualify as a Messiah. You just redefine the term. And but Messiah, which is interesting. Messiah, uh, the, uh, Jesus Christos, okay? the Greek word Christos, it means anointed one, right? That's what a Messiah is, is an anointed one. Now, when Jesus, when he's talking about in the end of times, you get this in uh, like uh, Matthew 24. He says in the last times there will be false Christs and false, you know, and, and false prophets. If, when you think of a false Christ, you have to think of somebody who is falsely anointed. Okay, so you know, think about that. Christ is really the only anointed one. There ain't nobody else. And if you start talking about somebody being anointed, um, that's some scary language that should only apply to the one anointed one. That's Jesus Christ. So anyway, Nate continues. He says. Um, the contemporary church has treated Jesus like this for years and has been quite profitable. Jesus just wants to make us feel better about who we are, and Obama offers the same kind of hype. I mean, hope. <laughs> a nice slip there, Nate. He says there's there is nothing wrong with this treatment if that is what a Messiah is. If, however, a Messiah is one who reconciles us to God, it is a sinful act to give worship to Obama. You are... St- 
you are stuck in orthodox ideas of who the Christ must be. When Obama has died for our sins and been raised from the dead, then we can worship him. Fortunately, Jesus has come and borne our sins on the cross. This means that you don't have to wait for Obama to do it. And uh, and it's been done even you know, and uh, it's been done even for Obama. That's correct. Even Obama sinned. Here's the deal: Philippians chapter two. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven on earth, and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That means that Obama is going to bend the knee someday too. <sighs> anyway, more listener email here, Chris. This is from Stephen Newell. Stephen Newell is a sometime he, he contributes from time to time at Extreme Theology. He's a great guy. You know, he's got some good ideas and he's, he's just upstanding. And uh, Stephen uh, writes regarding the uh, Gilligan Island Gilligan's Island Bible study that I mentioned here at Fighting for the Faith. He says there is an element of theology in Gilligan's Island on a side comment that you made. The seven characters are actually patterned after the seven deadly sins. The, 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 <laughs> let's continue with Steve's the, the, the looks here in the studio are a complete stunned silence I mean you know <laughs> okay here we go Gilligan apparently represents the deadly sin of laziness Skipper is wrath Ginger is lust I, can, I would agree with that Marianne is envy hmm. okay Professor is pride yeah those smart people they're just prideful um and Mr. Hal is greed, and apparently Mrs. Hal is gluttony, although she wasn't really fat. I mean, okay, all right. So, Okay, so while this is neither law nor gospel, the show did, illust- did illustrate how our sinful nature causes all types of problems in our own lives as well as our lives with others. All human conflict is the result of our sinfulness. We can only have peace with other men when we have Christ's peace with God first. You know, Steve, I hope that... <laughs> There wasn't enough satire in this to make me go. To make me go, hmm. Apparently, so there it is uh, from Stephen Newell from uh, the St. Louis area, sometimes contributor to ExtremeTheology.com. There you go. the uh, The seven characters in Gilligan's Islands are are uh, named or patterned after the seven deadly sins. In other words, everyone on that island's going to hell. <laughs> no, I. <laughs> Seven Deadly Sins, by the way, that's kind of a, a Catholic construction. Yeah. And apparently they've added to the list recently. Oh, is it not recycling? No, they've added more sins to it. You know, you know, mortal sins. You know, there's a whole list of mortal sins. By the way, folks, that whole idea about mortal sins versus venial sins, complete hogwash. Okay, let's, um, let's just get that one right out. This, this idea that, you know, that the, there's lies and there's white lies and that, you know, there's some sins that are worse than others. Okay. Um, okay. Notice something here that the uh, Adam and Eve were not kicked out of the garden for committing homicidal genocide against an ethnic group. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> they ate a piece of fruit. Okay. In disobedience to God. Okay. If you're really thinking about mortal sins and venial sins as some being worse than other, you, you just don't get it. All sins are mortal sins. Every sin that you commit literally makes you guilty of the fires of hell. Okay? Got it? Okay. All sins are mortal. Let's just keep that in mind. Yeah, here they had this opportunity. You know, actually, I think it was Noah. 
You know, Noah had the opportunity to completely rid us of flies, and did he do it? No. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Okay. All right. So uh, this is an interesting thing. I, I, this is a news story from the Baptist Press, but we've we've got to play our uh, our news music here because we're switching into the news here. This is weird. <laughs> from the Baptist Press, <clears throat> three minute testimony leads to one thousand six hundred to Christ. I mean, who knew that uh, you know, a three-minute testimony can lead to 1,600 co- conversions to Christianity, right? I mean, that's at least... <clears throat> here, let me read the story here. This is from the Baptist Press, November 6, 2008, by Aaron Roach. Don't want to touch that. All right, let's see. Fort Worth, Texas, Baptist Press. More than 1,600 people have indicated online that they prayed to receive Jesus Christ for salvation after watching a three-minute video of evangelist Ronnie Hill's testimony, which starts by recounting his birth to a 17-year-old rape victim who decided against abortion. Okay, that must be some powerful three minutes, man. You know, just rock your world. You know, at the you know, you start off as a pagan atheist, and three minutes later, you're 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 repenting of your sins and receiving forgiveness, right? Well, here's the good news. We'll play it. <laughs> um, but there's, uh, I know that that sounds all great and everything, but this is where the story gets bizarre. Okay, <clears throat> since January, Hill and others have been directing people to www.3minutestory.com where they can watch his three-minute testimony and then register to win a new car or truck. (laughs) I'm not making that up. Apparently the drawing is on December 12th and the winner will choose between a Dodge Ram, a Jeep Wrangler, or a Chrysler 300. And with only 1,600 people saying that they've... uh, made a decision for Jesus, you know what? Your odds of winning that car are pretty good. <laughs> Any, anyone out there need a new car? This is your chance. You've got a pretty good shot at this. I mean, the more people that enter, the less the less likely you are to win it. But, you know, hey, folks, serious, you, you listeners to Fighting for the Faith, do you need a new Dodge Ram? Do you Are you lusting after a Jeep Wrangler or really would like the prestige of driving around in a Chrysler 300? I rented one of those once. Not not too not too not too far long ago. I was uh, in fact was that the car I had in Chicago? That was the car I had in Chicago when I was up there for the Reveal Now conference. I was in a Chrysler 300. That, that, I was fly, man. Yeah. No, oh, please stop. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I shouldn't talk. Shouldn't talk relevantly. So yeah, I I, I you know, <laughs> I was in, I was kind of bumping to the act like a Christian, you know, and what? <laughs> no, it was a nice. It was a pretty good vehicle. So hey, you folks out there, you who are listening. 3minuteministry.com. All you got to do is listen to three minutes of this thing. And then at the end, by the way, there's a little quiz question. Make sure you actually watched it. You know, like my question was, what color was the guy's hair? You want to cheat? It was brown. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I got it right, though. So, you know, folks, if you would like a new Dodge Ram, Jeep Wrangler, or Chrysler 300, go to 3minutestory.com and hear this guy's testimony. It's, you know. Three minutes, it'll apparently rock your world. Now, if you're an atheist, you might actually end up at three minutes later becoming a Christian. Okay. 
Huh. At the end of October, nearly 28,000 visits to the website had been logged, and more than 6,300 people had registered to win the vehicle. Hill told Baptist Press. You know what, dude? One in 6,300—that is a lot better than any lottery ticket, and it's free. You know, sir, you want to dodge? You know, Dodge Ram, Jeep Wrangler, or a Chrysler 300? Take your pick. Choose your poison. These are some pretty good odds. Yeah. yeah, why do I say this? Because, folks, don't you find it just a little bit odd, just a little bit bizarre, that after seeing a three-minute video that somebody could claim that they have made a decision for Jesus, and, and now we should accept them into the kingdom of God, right? Because they just follow along of the prayer at the end of the video. But the good news is, what's the hook? The hook is a new car. Yeah, I don't know if it's a bait and switch, but um, how many, you know, do you think the Apostle Paul was auctioning off horses or, lot, you know, you know, raffling off horse, brand new mules or tent? Oh, he was a tent maker. Yeah, yeah. come to my tent you know, and listen to my three-minute pitch on why you need to repent of your idolatry and receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, which, by the way, those words never appear in Scripture. That should make some of you worried. Um, and... Um, and and then you know what and then register to win a brand new tent you think the apostle paul engaged in that kind of a marketing scam uh well the answer to that question is no so here, here let me go to 3 minutestorycom cuz you know we've got 3 minutes let's you know you know what? we'll listen to it at the at the, at the on the other side of the break but when you go to 3 minutestorycom i mean I mean, you got that Dodge Ram just sticking right in your face. I mean, it's huge. I mean, you know, right on, man. You, you know, y'all need a new car. This is where you should go to get one. I'm telling you, one in 6,300 chance right now. That's not bad odds. Not bad odds at all. Anyway, we're going to take our first break. And uh, if you would like to email me and tell me just how wrong I am for encouraging people to go in and sign up for a new car when they might already be Christians. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. So the new pastor came in and shut down the Sunday school, uh, canceled the adult Bible study, no. dumped the hymnals, oh. sacked the choir, and put um, in a praise band and started preaching sermons that sound like they could be preached or done on Dr. Phil's program. It's awful. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. Our chief weapon is purpose. Purpose and vision. Vision and purpose are two weapons. Our purpose and vision and ruthless relevance are three weapons. Our purpose, vision, and ruthless relevance in an almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren are four weapons. Now, amongst our weaponry are such elements as purpose, vision. I'll come in again. 
<clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects a purpose-driven inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and nice Hawaiian gentle. Damn. I can't say it. You'll have to say it. Uh, what? You have to say what the bit about our cheap weapons are. Uh, I I couldn't do that. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, nobody uh, expects. Uh, expects no. Nobody expects the um, purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, I know, I know. Nobody expects the purpose-driven Inquisition. In fact, those who yeah, do... Chief weapons are... Our chief weapons are... Um, purpose. Uh, uh, vision. Okay, okay, stop, stop that, stop that. Our chief weapons are purpose. Blah, 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 blah. Youth Pastor Rick, read the charges. Dude, you're like hereby charged with being divisive and not following our program. That's enough! Now... How do you plead? Well, we're, we're innocent. innocent. Ha! 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 We'll soon change your mind about that! Hi, I'm Patrick Kyle, a founding partner of New Reformation Press. Just as the first Reformation rediscovered, reclaimed, and restated timeless truths from the Word of God, the mission of New Reformation Press is to reintroduce these truths to the contemporary church and culture. All of our resources are hand-picked to ensure that you have the best available biblical and doctrinal materials at your fingertips to help you grasp the treasures of the Reformation and deepen your own understanding of Christ and His work on your behalf. Browse our website at newreformationpress.com. We offer books, CDs, downloadable MP3s, and our very own line of Reformation-themed clothing. Check out the audio presentation, Bible in an Hour. Absolutely the finest overview of the scriptures that the staff at New Reformation Press has ever heard. Also, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt's presentation, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. A stunning 200-proof presentation of the gospel for those who have been hurt by the church and discouraged as a result of false teaching. Available exclusively through NewReformationPress.com. Again, that's NewReformationPress.com. All right, we're back. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Christ. My job, dish up a daily dose of biblical discernment. We ask the question, is what you're hearing in today's American evangelicalism even Christian? Many times it doesn't sound like it. Anyway, so uh, we're in the middle of, we're getting ready to... Uh, Listen to the three-minute story that apparently has caused 1,600 people to join the ranks of Christians and of those who have repented of their sins and now trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Now, being a good host, I've actually listened to this uh, three-minute video ahead of time because, you know, that's what I do, you know. <laughs> and uh, the good news is, is that if you actually go to 3minutestory.com, folks, if you need a new vehicle... We've got pretty good odds here. You can get one, okay? They're giving you away either a new Dodge Ram truck, a Jeep Wrangler, or a Chrysler 300. 
do you need to move up to something that's a little bit more glitzy? You need to add a more corporate polish to your your vehicle selection, and you just don't quite have the the money to do so. You got a pretty good shot at winning one of these vehicles, folks. No, no. Is your is your pickup truck dying? Do you need something that you can haul? You know, some, some you know some heavy equipment with. Right now, like less than you have a better than one in seven thousand chance of actually winning. Now. Yeah. Now, the uh, the the drawing is being held on December twelfth, two thousand and eight, at five p.m. Central Time. Only one entry per person, though. So no no point in filling the ballot box here. No double dipping. No double dipping. And you don't even have to identify yourself as one of the people who uh, made a decision for Jesus. But do you find anything odd about this? What's with the giving away the cars? No, I don't know. Anyway, so we're going to play this video. So here we go. There was a 17-year-old girl that was raped by an 18-year-old guy. And as a result of the rape, she became pregnant. And a lot of people say she needed to have an abortion. But this 17-year-old girl decided not to have an abortion. She decided to have the baby. Nine months later, she had a six-and-a-half-pound baby boy. And that baby boy is me. And I want you to know I'm not here today by accident. Just like you're not here by accident. But, but I didn't understand that. I didn't realize that until one day I was sitting in church. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't go to church much. And when I did go, I usually didn't pay attention. And I heard for the first time in my life that God loved me and cared about me. I didn't know that God knew my zip code, much less he loved and cared about me. But the guy that was talking that day said that I had a problem. I was thinking, I don't have a problem. He said, the problem is the Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Because... All right, got to pause it right there. Okay, the, the, the guy's three-minute story. I mean, first of all, if we're going to critique it theologically, all right, so far he's not dancing around the whole sin thing, okay? He's he's made it very clear all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. So he's got he's I, correctly identifying the problem. In fact, I'm going to even go on to say he's going to even correctly identify the solution, which is trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, okay? So this is one of those mixed bag kind of things. You know, you know, great. I'm glad that you put this three minute video up and that it outlines the fact that uh, we're all sinners and that we need, you know, salvation by grace through Jesus Christ and by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Maybe I'm putting you know, maybe it's a little stretching it, but, you know, it's only a three minute video. But what you're going to hear here, folks here, here, I love it when I put the two together. Yeah, they're both spelled differently. What you're going to hear here. I say them the same. Yeah, but they sound the same. Yeah. Um is uh, this guy is actually going to kind of repeat the, the punchline, which has to do with this making the, of making a prayer. And uh, we'll critique him at the end of that point. But here we go. Because I've sinned, I deserve to die and go to hell. I thought if I was good or went to church, that they'd get me to heaven. But according to what the Bible says, it's not going to get me to heaven. <laughs> well, I didn't want to go to hell. He said, you don't have to go to hell. He said, God loved you so much, he sent his son Jesus out of heaven, down this earth, down a cross to pay for your sins. All right, got to make a quick comment here. Notice he said that uh, the preacher said he would, you know, that he deserved hell. And the guy said, I don't want to go to hell. Mm. Just a quick theological question. Is desiring to avoid hell the same as having remorse and contrition for your sins? It, It seems different to me, you know, you know. Hey, the reason why you need Jesus is so that hey, you can avoid hell. You know, and no, and not only can you avoid hell, but you have a better than one in seven thousand chance right now of actually getting a car. 
this, there's a little bit of offness here. Yeah, but it's only a three-minute video. I mean, this is not exactly a theological treatise. You know, he, he gets an A for, well, maybe a B, um, for sincerity, you know. And we continue. If you're willing to repent and turn from your sins, admit to God that you've messed up, you've blown it. Say, God, I want to ask for forgiveness. And he said, the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I was like, you know what? I want to do that because I, I need my life to change. Something is wrong. I want to do that because I don't want to go to hell. I want to do that because I need my life to change because something is wrong. Uh, well, you know what? Going back through this like a second time, it, it, there's there's some there's some issues here. And that whole, that, by the way, that whole you're, you're not a mistake or you know that that kind of thing. That's kind of a stick from Rick Warren. I bet you anything he says the word purpose somewhere in here. He said, if you're interested in doing that, you can pray a prayer with me. It goes something like this: Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've blown it, and I want to ask you to forgive me my sins. And I turn from my sins. And I invite you into my life to be my boss and my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me. And thank you for changing my life. And I'm going to tell you, since then, I have never again been the same. He changed my life. He gave me peace. He gave me purpose. He gave me meaning. And I'm no more special than anybody else. What He did for me, He can do for you. It's nothing magical. It's not a formula. You're just admitting to God that you've... Well, you know, it sounds like a formula. Just pray this prayer. Repeat with me, and, and then you are a Christian. This is, this is one of those things we've got to ask ourselves a question. Are you saved because you said a prayer? Are these magic sinner's prayers supposed to uh, get you into the kingdom? Now, I can think of, of a real sinner's prayer. I actually know where there is a sinner's prayer. In a in the Bible, actually, I know of a few of them. Was a pe- was a person saved by the sinner's prayer? You know, let me let me give you an example of one. All right, going to uh, <clears throat> Roseboro's computerized Bible. Okay, I think we're in Luke chapter eighteen. I'm doing this from memory here, yeah, because you know I always do stuff on the cuff. All right, here we are. This is um, Jesus uh, told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. This is uh, Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 9. And they treated others with contempt. Nothing like religious people who treat others with contempt because they think they're righteous. The word for them is obnoxious. (laughs) Okay, unfortunately, I've done this before, and I've been that obnoxious. Anyway, uh, so Jesus told this parable to uh, people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and then treated others with contempt. It goes back to what we said yesterday about the fact that uh, when you go to church, is your church full of sinners or are all the sinners on the outside? If all the sinners on the outside, you in the wrong church. Okay, you need to go to a church where actually all the sinners are inside the church. Trust me, it's it's that's really a good, important thing. So anyway, Jesus said, two men went up into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. Already, this is a scandalous little uh, parable that he's telling because you, you can say, you know, two men went into the temple to pray. One was Rick Warren and the other was, you know, an arms dealer, you know, something like, you know, was a, was somebody who trafficked in, uh, in, in human trafficking. So the sex trade. Okay, so 
that would be like that's the modern day equivalent of that. It says, so the Pharisee, uh, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. <sighs> I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. You can almost hear this guy's arm, you know, str- you know, the muscles straining as he pats himself on the back while praying. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, this is his sinner's prayer, by the way. This is, this is a great example of the sinner's prayer in uh, Scripture. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That was it. That was it. that was all of his prayer. I mean, that's it. <laughs> his only prayer, and he can't even lift up his eyes to heaven. Why? Because he's so ashamed of what he's done, right? The law has done its work, driven him to his knees. He knows he is not righteous. And he has to agree with what God's just judgment against him is, is that he is a sinner and that he stands condemned and worthy of the wrath of God because that's what his actions and behavior have earned him. The sinner's prayer, the one in the biblical one, is found in Luke chapter 18, verse 13, and it's God be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, Jesus says, I tell you, this man, that referring to the tax collector, uh, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Chicken and egg question here. Um... Did his prayer save him? No. Did the prayer that he prayed show that already that God had worked faith in him, that he at this point was contrite and repentant and turned to God because God turned him and gave him faith to turn to God and trust in his mercy and fall on his mercy? I think it's the second one. I think that this prayer springs forth from a broken and contrite heart who has nowhere else to go, has nowhere else to go except for to Christ for mercy. And if you come to Christ asking for forgiveness of sins, God's already working faith in you because how would you even know that there is forgiveness of sins except somebody preached the gospel to you, right? So uh, the biblical uh, sinner's prayer is pretty simple. It's, Lord, have mercy on me, a, a sinner. But getting somebody to, to pray, you know, let's say I was to go out on the street. I'm sure that if I, if I really tried to found, kind of did a gimmicky kind of way, I'd get people you know, to, who would be willing to pray that prayer with me. Would you pray this prayer with me? Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Okay, I, okay, I will, and they do. And should I then at the end of them, because they've prayed that prayer, should I then just you know, make the sign of the cross and say, okay, good news, you're a Christian now. Should I do that? No. Well, that's what people are pretty much doing here, aren't they? That's what a lot of Christians do, and they call it evangelism, don't they? Just let me let's spend five minutes with me, and at the end of it, we'll pray a prayer, and then you're a Christian. Ta-da! It's like magic. Mm-hmm. Notice here, he's this guy giving his three-minute testimony, talks about the fact that he was in a church, and he was hearing about God's love, in other words, he was hearing about this in some in a context where he was getting information that took more than three minutes to present. I mean, would this 
be considered like the Christian version of a drive-by conversion? Well, I mean, we got three cars that were given away. One, we pick, you know, we're giving away a car here. This is like the, a drive-by conversion. You know, in three minutes, now you're a Christian. You know, so this is a, yeah, this is a Christian drive-by. And we continue. Messed up, you've blown it, and you, you're committing your life to Him because you know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And if you want to, you can pray that same prayer that I prayed that day, and it goes something like this. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've blown it. I want to ask you to forgive me my sins. I want to turn from my sins. And I want to invite you into my life to be my boss and Lord and Savior. And if you... you know, it's really weird. If you're watching the video, if you were online actually watching the video, this it's a little bit distracting because what happens is while he's praying, he's looking up to heaven, and his face happens to be on the exact same side of the screen as where the cars are. No, I kid you not. You know, so you're watching this guy burying his testimony, telling people to pray the sinner's prayer along with him. And I'm just looking at the cars going, dude, how long? Okay, come on. Two minutes, 30 seconds, 30 more seconds. And I can I can enter to win this car. A little distracting, don't you think? Why the gimmick? Pray that prayer with me today, right now. I guarantee you that he'll change your life and he'll forgive your sins. So if you've never done that before and you'd like to pray with me, pray with me right now. That simple prayer that I pray. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I want to ask you to forgive me of my sins. I turn from my sins. And I invite you into my life to be my boss and my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. And thank you for saving me, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name. Wait, wait, wait. And God, would you help me win the car too? Amen. There we go. Well-intentioned. Well-intentioned and, you know. But seriously, what's with the cars? And is, I mean, if you prayed that prayer with him sincerely after that three-minute ride of your life, could I now make the sign of the cross over you and say you are now a Christian? I don't. The, the answer, actually, the biblical answer is I don't know. Maybe. But what's with the cars? Why do we have to have a hook for the gospel? You know, I, I told Jim Mayhew in my email to him, I says, you know, when people try to market the gospel, they just really come off as being schlocky. They come off as, as really looking bizarre and stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, so here's this guy being sincere and he's sharing the truth that we're sinners and that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins. Absolutely true messages. And in, in all sincerity and hope, he's... You, you can you can see it. I mean, he's not. This isn't. He's not trying to be a, a shyster. He's not trying to you know be somebody who was trying to take your money. In fact, they're giving away a car, right? But yeah, I don't know. What's your thoughts on this? I'd love to hear what you guys have to think. You can email me. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Do you know? Go to three dot com and. Tell me what you think. I mean, this is definitely a mixed bag. Definitely, definitely a mixed bag. You hear the gospel, 
yeah, it's kind of wrapped up in some weird evangelical language, but it's there. And Christ died on the cross for your sins. You hear it. You hear about the fact that you're a sinner. And you hear a call for you to repent. And the guy sincerely tries to lead you in a prayer. And apparently, well, the Baptist press claims that, uh, you know, they, they reported it, you know, some kind of a victory for the kingdom that, you know, that uh, the three-minute testimony has led to 1,600 people to uh, make a decision for Jesus Christ. Yeah, which kind of leads to another question. Um, how did the Baptist press find out about the 1,600 people who supposedly made a decision for Jesus Christ? You know, in the let's not count your chickens before you hatch category, how many of these 1,600 people who apparently made decisions for Christ have they followed up on to see if these people are actually being discipled? You know, actually going to a church, getting, hearing God's word on a, on a, on a, you know, weekly basis, being taught how to read God's word or being discipled. Yeah, it, right. It, is this one of those things like a gym membership? You know, every, every January they, you know, if, you know, right, seriously, right before the turn of the year. Okay, you've got you know you you got all these different fitness places, twenty four hour fitness and valleys and all that kind of stuff, running commercials like crazy. Because why? Every year, everyone wants to make these New Year's resolutions. This year, I'm going to quit smoking. This year, I'm going to lose one thousand pounds. This year, I'm going. And so, what happens is that people, you know, at the beginning of the year, you know, they they lower the bar for them to get in as far as you know. We'll, we'll waive the setup fee or whatever. And so, they get them in, and then you know what what happens with those members? They go completely unused, right? Is this like that? We've got 1,600 people who said yes on an internet question after watching a three-minute video. How many of these people are actually following up, or are they following up on and getting them plugged into a good Christian church where Christ is proclaimed and and the gospel is front and center and God's word is actually being taught in a way where it's being it's it's not this hunt and peck you know seeker sensitive self-help pop psychology stuff they're actually being discipled in Christianity I mean don't you think it's a little premature to sit there and have some kind of a celebration or a victory over over 1600 people who've clicked yes on a box in a question on the internet after watching a three-minute video. I mean, wow, I didn't realize Christianity was that easy. Now, granted, we're saved by grace through faith alone, through Jesus Christ alone, but, I mean, where's the follow-up here? I mean, yeah, I had my my kids baptized, but you think I just said, well, they, they've been baptized, you know, they went to church once. No need to teach me any of that Bible stuff. Wouldn't want them to actually know what God says. Anyway, that's where we're all right. So the three minute testimony. What do you think? I'd love to get your feedback on. I mean, I'm sure some of you are going to think that's the best thing next to sliced bread, right? Maybe it is. I don't know. What do I know? I'm just a radio show host. <laughs> Okay, we're going to switch gears to, um, this is kind of weird. There's a a brand new 
movie out, and apparently it's been uh, reviewed by Today, uh, you know, the, the Today Show, USA Today. Um, you, you can set up parties where people can come and view it, and the name of it is "Lord Save Us from Your Followers." That's the name. Of, I kid you not. That's the name of the movie. Okay, it's called "Lord Save Us from Your Followers." And, um, you know, after after watching the preview for this movie, it talks about religion. Supposedly it's written by a guy, you know, the movie was produced by a guy who claims to be a Christian. And, um, you know, the, the, the big burning question that it apparently is um, supposed to be answering is this question. And see if you see anything wrong with the question. Why is the gospel of love dividing America? Son, get off the floor. All right, why is the gospel of love dividing America? There's something wrong with this question. <laughs> uh, huh. You know, let's... i got to pull up my computerized Bible again. By the way, I use the ESV translation on my computerized Bible. That shows that I'm more sanctified than most people. I'm kidding. It... it what do you, what, you have the ESV? So, oh, man, I'm not more sanctified than you, John. Man. <sighs> we're, we're, <laughs> we're both sinners, man. <laughs> okay, I can do a little search here in my computerized Bible. Father against. Let's see if I can find this passage. Aha, here we go. <laughs> okay, so the, the burning question that supposedly this new movie is answering is, why is the, quote, gospel of love dividing America. Now, I think one of the answers to that question, although I disagree with the question because, you know, there's something fundamentally screwy about it, is it goes back to the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Remember that Jesus said to those who thought themselves righteous and looked down at others with contempt, you know, granted, we've got some modern-day Pharisees in Christianity. No doubt about it. I've been one. Been there, done that, okay. So I mean, the you know, but the fundamental question that's asking is why is the gospel of love dividing America? Does the gospel necessarily unite? It, that's the, that's the question. Should we assume that the gospel somehow, if it's correctly preached, would unite the world? We'd all sing kumbaya and we'd all have a big group hug, and you know, bang, you know, you know, bang on drums in the middle of the wilderness around a campfire, and and have tears rushing down. I mean, seriously, right? Okay. Let me read uh, Jesus' words from Luke chapter 12. He says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do not think that I have come to give peace on earth. No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother and mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Cats and dogs living together. Anarchy. No, I'm sorry. That last part about the cats and dogs is not actually in the passage. So I asked this question. Why is Jesus, you know, since he's the one who's supposedly the giver of the gospel of love, right? Okay, that's Luke chapter 12. I read verses 50 through 53. Yeah, John, I always appreciate the fact that, you know, if I don't give the address in the Bible, that you're there to uh, <laughs> make sure I do. 
yeah, the the official show observer does help me out with that. Okay, so uh, Jesus here, he's the giver of the gospel of love, isn't he? Jesus Christ. Okay, why is it that Jesus Christ here is talking about how that from now on there's, there's going to be division? And he said, I do not think I've come to give peace on earth. Well, we should send this. We should actually email Brian McLaren this verse. <laughs> you know, and all you Obama messianiacs. Is that even a word? Messianiacs. The Obama messianiacs. Okay. Right yeah, I just write Webster's. That's going to be. Well, I'm going to put that in for like a new word for the year. Okay. Rosebro coined it, by the way. <laughs> like that even matters. <sighs> okay, so Jesus says, Do not think that I've come to give peace on earth. No, I tell you, but rather to bring division. Jesus said that. Okay, and he talks about how that division is even going to destroy families. Okay, so already we've got a little bit of a problem here. The name of the movie is Lord Save Us From Your Followers, and... The URL for the movie, if you want to visit on the internet, is lordsaveusthemovie.com. Okay? Remind me later. I'll put a link up at fightingforthefaith.com. For those of you who just don't want to type all that in, as if fightingforthefaith.com, just typing in fightingforthefaith, is some kind of a bargain. You know, that's a really long URL, too. They have What? Yeah, but they might already have a bookmark. Yeah, that's a good point. So um, so the question that this movie is answering is, why is the gospel of love dividing America? The answer to the question, now that I've looked at what Jesus said, is, duh, the gospel of Jesus Christ divides truth from error, light from darkness. It, <laughs> it divides families. So why shouldn't we expect it to divide the America? Now, granted, now I'm going to be the first to admit that not everybody who represents Christianity, you know, in the in the media, and I would even say it goes so far as to say my former boss, Jim Dobson. Okay, um, I think he's done some dividing himself too, but it's not about the gospel he's dividing; it's about moral, legal things in the culture war, right? So, anyway, I'm going to play a little bit of. Uh, audio from a video on the Lord Save Us From Your Followers uh, website, but we're going to do that when we get back from our second break. Can you believe that? We're already up on our second break? I, I'm getting old. Anyway. By the minute, right? What? By the minute? By the minute. I'm getting older by the minute. That's what, by the second, I think, maybe even nanosecond. You know, it just depends on how you keep time. Anyway, if you would like to uh, email me and uh, complain about the fact that I'm encouraging people to go and steal this uh, car that's being given away, really, it's a great opportunity, folks. If you would like a new vehicle, you've got good odds right now. But uh, Or talk to me about the Lord Save Us From Your Followers. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. We'll be right back. If you think God is a black woman named Papa, then you need to get out of the shack and read your Bible. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus flock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases 
can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn radio program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, available exclusively at NewReformationPress.com, or the big-picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com Finally, Reformation Theology Made Accessible. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, turning photo written music. You have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. All right, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith, and uh, we are discussing the movie that's out called "Lord Save Us from Your Followers." Okay, and apparently the burning question that they're answering is, "Why is the gospel of love dividing America?" Well, I think that all depends on how you're defining the gospel of love. And Okay, the, the guy who put this video together actually apparently calls himself like Bumper Sticker Man or something. And he sh- goes around places and he's got bumper stickers all over himself, including the multiple different fish iterations You know, in the, in the fight with the Darwinists over the fishes. Yeah, man. By the way, Greek word, ichthus. Okay? It means fish. If you're not familiar with how the fish became a Christian symbol, the Greek word ichthus, okay, it was like a little Cree. What they did, it, they did a Rick Warren acrostic is basically what it comes down to. They took a, wor- uh, a word and then had something stand for each of the different letters. And you know, basically, roughly, in Greek, it was Jesus Christ, Son of God, you know, that kind of thing, you know, and Savior, Son of God, Savior, okay? So that was what the, you know, they took the Greek word and then made an acrostic from it. And and it was one of the earliest symbols of Christianity. And when Christianity was being persecuted by the uh, by the Roman uh, Caesars, you know, during, you know, the er, the first part of the uh, of Christianity, um, they they met underground. Uh, We'll talk about the Cairo in a minute, too. Okay, they met underground. They would would have church in the catacombs and stuff like that. So can you imagine having church in like a graveyard? I mean, that, in the catacombs, that's where they bury dead bodies. And you just hope and pray that this Sunday there wasn't a fresh one there. And uh, so, you know, what they would do is the the, the, the Greek, the, the fish symbol itself 
before they would let you into church, everyone knew that that was the secret sign to get in. And so if you like showed up at the entrance to the catacombs, what you would do is you'd draw the sign of the fish in the dirt and the person would let you into the catacombs to go to church. Okay, that's basically what happened. Now, the question about the Cairo. Cairo, it's it's the first two uh, two Greek letters of Christ's, of, of, of the word Christos in Greek. You just take, you know, the chi and the rho, you know, you know, and, and and then you put it in, the, in a symbol like that. Constantine actually made that one famous, the uh, symbol of the Cairo. He made it famous because apparently he was going into battle against, you know, a, a terrible enemy. And right before the eve of the battle, he had some kind of a vision or something like that. And you, he thought it was from God. And he saw, you know, in the sky, it said basically said, go and conquer in, in, you know, under the sign of the symbol. And he saw in the sky apparently a Cairo. And so he had everybody, you know, everybody in his army, you know, etch a Cairo on their shield, and he won the battle. And so, I mean, that's that's how the story goes. Okay, you know, I'm not a big fan of Constantine, but we do use the Cairo for Pirate Christian Radio. So, a little Trivial Pursuit kind of stuff there, folks. If you're playing Bible uh, Trivial Pursuit or Christian Trivial Pursuit, you should do better tonight, after having just heard that little tidbit. Anyway, so we're we're talking about the Lord Save Us from Your Followers website, the movie that's out. Um, it's gotten many reviews, and so we're um, we're now going to listen to uh, some video, uh, some audio from a video from the website where they they took the 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 movie and they played it for the kids at a secular campus known as Lewis and Clark College. Apparently, they chose that one because. Um, that's supposed to be like the least religious college in the country or something like that. And I'll, 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 when we get to sticker, bumper sticker guys' uh, comments, I'll, I'll point this out because this there's something in this video that I think is really important. So, well, yeah, here we go. Why is the gospel of love dividing America? Lord, save us from with sticker, bumper sticker man goes to college. Lewis and Clark College, a small liberal arts school outside of Portland, Oregon, Named by the Princeton Review as the least religious campus in America, invited us to their fine campus to screen our film, Lord Save Us From Your Followers. We really didn't know what to expect. Would anyone come to the screening? Would they like the film? Can Christians and non-Christians have a dialogue about this stuff? Now I know George Bush says Jesus Christ changed his heart, but believe me, Dick Cheney changed it back. I think it's hard not to be inspired by witnessing something like that. And I think that if you want to talk about what is the best face of religion, the face of religion that is not divisive, but that brings people together and lifts us up, that's it. A face of religion that isn't divisive, but brings us together and lifts us up. And that's the, that's the, apparently the last line in the movie because everyone there is cheering and whooping and hollering. Jesus said that he didn't come to bring peace on the earth, but division, and that people in, a, in their own households would be divided as a result. But so it's the Christianity that this supposed Christian film is promoting. Um, biblical Christianity? Well, let's find out. In a nutshell, it's the primary message. You know, if I had to break it down to a bumper sticker, that—that's what I'm gonna. I would say, love one another. All right, stop. Okay, that was that was bumper sticker man who apparently is out there promoting this uh, movie, 
and he was receiving he got a question from somebody in the audience that had seen the movie and he was asked to kind of reduce you know what what's the main theme of the movie and he said if he had to boil it down to a bumper sticker what is it love one another is that the gospel no, it sounds like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. That's the theme of Bill and Ted. Be excellent to one another. Be excellent to one another. It has been a long time since I've seen that movie. I'm really disp- <laughs> I'm despondent now. Okay, so is the, is the theme love one another? What is that, folks? That's the Mosaic Law. That's the law. Is that the gospel? No, it's not. How do you, if you want to take the law and s- summarize it? Jesus summarized it. He summarized the entire law down to two things. Love God, love your neighbor. That's the law. What's the purpose of the law? Drive us to your knees. That's right. Put you know, To basically show you your sin. That's what the scripture says the purpose of the law is. The Mosaic law cannot save you. So this guy's out there representing Christianity and talking about, Lord, save us from your followers. And how does he boil... Christianity. What does he boil Christianity down to in his own bumper sticker? Because this is bumper sticker, man. Love one another. Now I understand. You know the gospel. You know in the uh, one of the epistles of John, John the apostle writes, "Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not loveth not God, for God is love." Right. Now, there is an aspect to that where we do love. But see, the thing is, is that love, because it's law, is a fruit of faith. And the way you produce fruit from faith is to focus in on Christ and him crucified. You preach for faith. You preach for faith. You preach the law to convict people of their sins. You comfort them with the gospel and get people's eyes and focus of their faith on Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit sanctifies us and continues to work good works in us. And as a result of it, we're capable then and and do, in a truly good way, love other people. But that is not your lo- that's not your starting point. That's actually a fruit of faith. These guys are starting as if that's the beginning. In fact, far from it. Anyway, we continue. I like it. How do we get to the point where issues of faith ultimately act as unifiers in and of themselves? Uh, especially when we talk about how 90% of Americans believe in some sort of God, yet we're as divided as we are. Christians will say they, they love someone and, and they'll do that, but then if someone's engaging in sin, such as homosexuality, they'll love homosexuals, but they'll still think they're going to hell. And that sort of implies a superiority for the Christian. So how do you get around that? All right, let's see, that's a fair question. You see, these are the types of questions that Christians really should be good at answering. You know, the answer to the question is, you know, hey, listen, all right, homosexuality is every bit as much a sin as adultery, heterosexual adultery, every bit as much a sin as lying, as cheating, as stealing, as, um, you know, as as lusting, as committing murder, as thievery, you know, think, see what, here's the deal, the law is the great equalizer, okay, and when Christians say that homosexuals are engaging in sinful activity, you know, that there, it's not being done from a position of superiority. Remember the uh, parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, those who are thinking themselves righteous and looking down their noses at contempt with everybody else. 
who thought they were, you know, basically justifying themselves by how good they are. No, the the actual biblical Christian position is we are just as much a sinner as anybody else, whether they're homosexual, heterosexual, whether they're male or or female, whether they're young or old, whether they're black, white, uh, yellow, red, uh, sunburned, um, you know, tattooed, who cares? Okay, we're all on the same playing field. Dirty, rotten, filthy sinners. The message is the message of Christianity isn't pull yourself up by your bootstraps and engage in moral improvement. The Christian message is repent of your sins and trust in Christ for your salvation. Okay, so this kid is kind of reacting correctly against those who in their moral superiority somehow act like they're superior to other people and that I'm more holy than you because I go to church and I've got my finances all worked out and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied with my career and uh, we continue. I just wondered how coming from just one book you get such different perspectives and why they always seem to go after each other. One of the women in your confessional booth, she yeah. asked you towards the end of that scene, why don't you jump ship if you think all this stuff? So my question is, why are you a Christian? I mean, all right, all right. This is an important question. We've got uh, we've got young bearded college fellow who looks like a smart smart guy, and he's asking the logical question here because apparently the movie is kind of attacking Christians here, um, written by a Christian to attack Christians. Um, why are you a Christian? Well, there's a great question, right? Okay, with Lord, you, you, we want Lord to save us from our from his followers, right? The guy asked the logical question there: Why are you a Christian? This answer is the most important answer given in this entire little segment and montage put together on the Lord Save Us the Movie website. Here we go. What What are your reasons for it? Yeah, good, awesome question. Uh, I'll tell you what I told her. Um, I told her that that I believe that the way Jesus asks me to live my life is the right way to do it. Would you be willing to... <sighs> I told her that the reason is because the way Jesus asks me to live my life is the right way to do it. Uh-huh. So it's all about behavior. behavior. It's Jesus came and gave us a more superior way to live our lives morally. Now, granted, Christ gave us some pretty, pretty darn good morals to follow, right? Set a great example for us. The only problem is we're sinful, and we none of us seems to pull that off. Is Christianity primarily about how you live your life? Well, if it is. Uh, then uh, how are you doing? Are you doing pretty good at it? Terrible. Josh, you're doing terrible? Yeah, I raised you better than that. You're going to hell. <laughs> I'll hide myself in Christ. Thank you. Yeah, huh? So, I mean, I'll be blunt. Um, I'm not doing so good. You know, because that pesky law is really, really demanding. Yeah, you're saying I mean, and, and see, and the thing is, it doesn't grade on the curve. And, you know, and Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. 
But is Jesus just some kind of a moral lawgiver? Let's let's hear this answer again because it's truly obnoxious and bad. Shit, if you think all this stuff. So my question is, why are you a Christian? I mean, what what are your reasons for it? Yeah, good, awesome question. Uh, I'll tell you what I told her. Um, I told her that that I believe that the way Jesus asks me to live my life is the right way to do it. Allah, no gospel. No gospel at all. Nothing about repenting of your sins. Nothing about trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. Him being the way, the truth, and life. No, it's about the fact that Jesus, the way he wants me to live my life, is the right way to do it. Ugh, really, really bad. You know what's funny is that this answer is not too much differently. Have y'all ever read uh, Rob Bell's book, Velvet Elvis? No, I have, and I apologize that I have. But, you know, in, in Velvet Elvis, uh, Rob Bell talks about something that uh, a friend of mine coined the term trampolinity. Okay, see, see, Rob Bell in Velvet Elvis describes Christianity as like bouncing on a trampoline. Okay? And Christianity is like a trampoline. And so what happens is is that God is inviting us to come onto the trampoline and bounce and have fun and enjoy our lives and live the right way. And he says that what happens is is that if, if, if Christianity is like a trampoline, then all the springs that hold up the trampoline are like the different doctrines. And he says you can take the doctrines out and you can, and you can see that they're bendy and flexible. I, I'm not – this is his metaphor. Okay. I just got the stink eye from Josh. <clears throat> So he, apparently the doctrines are bendy and flexible. And Rob Bell asked the question about uh, Mary's virgin birth. Okay. He asked the question, you know, if, if it was found out, we found archaeological uh, evidence that that the Virgin Mary actually had conjugal relations with a guy named Larry. And Jesus was produced as a result of that rather than, you know, this, this, this uh, idea that Jesus was actually conceived – and you know, conceived Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit and that she was a virgin, okay? Would that make a difference about Christianity? Yeah. Okay, well, he, and he says, what if you found out that, you know, if if this whole virgin birth thing was just something that the gospel writers threw in that would make it make the, the gospel message relevant and appealing to be people who followed the Mithra cult, oh, yeah. oh, okay? Gosh. Would that make a difference? Would you... Would, would you, you know, would Christ, would that destroy Christianity for you if you found out that Jesus actually wasn't born of the Virgin Mary? I'm reading the book going, yes, <laughs> uh, the, it absolutely would, uh, Rob. And the reason why is because then the whole thing is mythology. It's just moral mythology. There isn't an ounce of truth in it. It's just another man-made moral mythology. Right. It says that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary. That's the biblical teaching, right? And if that turns out to not be true, then then what else isn't true? Let's see. We can take out the whole fact about Jesus walked on the water. That's gone. Why should I believe that, right? Well, Jesus healing people, healing the blind, you know, Jesus raising him from the dead, um, actually Jesus even dying for our sins. Why would I, you know, come on. See, and so he says, oh, you got to understand. See, he says Christianity would still be the best way to live. Even if, if, uh, if Jesus was not born of the Virgin Mary. What did Paul say about the, 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 the
basically said that if Jesus Christ isn't raised from the dead, that, you know, we're, we're yeah, most miserable. We should be cons- we're pathetic is basically what it boils down to. Going to my computerized Bible, I think that passage is in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, isn't it? Yeah, let me look. 1 Corinthians 15, kind of an extended argument there for the... Uh... Yep, here it is. All right, here we go. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um starting at verse 12. Now, see, here's the deal. Okay, Christianity is true before it's helpful. We're proclaiming truth. And we're proclaiming good news that Christ died for our sins. Okay? So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12 says, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Okay? Paul here is uh, writing a little corrective thing here to the Corinthian church. Apparently, there were some who were part of the, uh, chur- the, the church community in Corinth there who were actually saying that there is no resurrection of the dead. Okay? Did Paul say, oh, that's okay. Think of doctrines as little springy things. Just jump on the trampoline and jump up and down. Who cares? Christianity is still the best way to live. N- no. Here's what Paul says. He says, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are in your, you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If, if in Christ we have no hope, in this life only we are of all people to be most pitied. You see, that's the thing, is that um, Rob's metaphor in Velvet Elvis about the trampoline um, and this idea that, you know, the Christianity would still be the best way to live. No, it wouldn't. No, I, 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 Rob Bell is wrong. Christianity would not be the best way to live if Jesus Christ was not born of the Virgin Mary. If it turns out to hope, I'm sorry, the best way to live if Christianity is, is false is Blatant paganism, debauchery. debauchery, getting drunk every night and going out and whooping and hollering. I mean, seriously, if they dig up the bones of Jesus Christ and can actually prove that they're his bones, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Not only am I out of here, I probably am going to become a hedonist. What's the point? You probably find fun in destroying R- right. space. Yeah. So <clears throat> going back here. So, uh, yeah, I've got a problem with this movie. And it's saying that, you know, this guy basically saying when he's asked why he should be a Christian and, you know, let's let's play his answer again because, you know, we have to play it three times because of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're good Trinitarians here. <laughs> so we'll catch the tail end of this guy's question and the answer once again just to kind of drive it into the ground. In your confessional booth, she yeah. asked you towards the end of that scene, why don't you jump ship if you think all this stuff? So my question is, why are you a Christian? I mean, what, what are your reasons for it? Yeah, good, awesome question. Uh, I'll tell you what I told her. Um, I told her that, that I believe that the way Jesus asks me to live my life is the right way to do it. Would you... 
does that want him go on cleansing? No, no, I agree that uh, the way Jesus asks us to live our right, a life is the right way to do it. Completely agree with that point. The problem is we don't. Mm-hmm. How does that want him go on Christ the solid rock? Uh, yeah, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. You see, we've now got Jesus, the moral guy, the guy telling us how to live our lives. We've completely missed the fact that none of us does it. Right. I remember the story I read from uh, regarding Ruth Graham, one of uh, Billy Graham's five daughters, uh, five children. And this is a woman who's calling for the end of plastic Christians. And these are people who are who who are acting like they've got their lives together when they know they don't. She was suicidal. Why was she suicidal? All law, no gospel, no Jesus Christ. All the things you have to do. Get to work. Forget about this Jesus forgiving your sin stuff. That was when you first came in the door. That doesn't apply to you anymore. You've got to get your life together and show that you're a Christian now by moral improvement. Hi-ya! Get to work. <laughs> Row faster. Row faster. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, so there it is. That's our show for today, folks. I know we didn't go two hours. <laughs> you know, yeah. See, we for the last two days we've gone two hours, but today we only went an hour and a half. I know my. It's Friday. Enjoy yourselves. <laughs> you know, this is the only show on Pirate Christian Radio that goes as long as it needs to go, and once it's done going as long as it needs to go, it's done. So some days are shorter, some days are longer. We just go as long as we need. But I don't think we're going to be putting in three hours. No, no time clock. No time clock here, except for I do try to watch the breaks. Right, yeah, whatever. Yeah, the commissioner. I'm the commish. Yeah, right. I'm the law in this town, and I make things up as I go along. I'm very capricious, and you know, I just kind of do what I feel like I need to do. And don't you mock me if I feel like I need to do it that way. That that sounds emergent. Okay. Uh, well, no, no, actually, that doesn't sound emergent at all because they don't believe in yeah. certainty. Yeah. Well, that, see, I was speaking with too much certainty, so I couldn't possibly be emergent. <laughs> all right. If you guys would like to email me regarding what you heard on today's show, you can do so at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Have a great weekend, and uh, we'll catch you on Monday. God bless.